So last week we brought the challenge of, of the 40 up to you. And, and what 40 up is, is it's, it's our cry out to you guys as, as a congregation, as us as a family, a body of believers, to take serious these 40 days of Lent and to take a moment for us to repent, to reflect, and ask God to renew the passion uh, that we still have, once had, or never had. Um, just revive a passion in us for his word, for his scripture, and for sharing uh, the good news of Jesus Christ with other people. And sometimes all it takes is for somebody to invite somebody to something. And so that's our challenge to you, is here we are, we've got the greatest excuse that you could possibly use as a church person. Well, it's Easter. Everybody expects to go to church on Easter. Everybody expects to be invited to church on Easter. So church, use this opportunity, invite people to church and get them involved and, and get, get them interested in the good news of Jesus Christ. So there's your 40 up uh, statement for the morning. Something else that kind of happened this week is uh, I'm, I'm really proud of my high school students. They are fantastic. They love the Lord. They are seeking to grow in him. Like Jesse Straitman this morning is this, this girl over here. A lot of you don't realize that she's only in high school. Uh, she's an incredible woman of God, leads worship every week. High school student. You can clap for that. I've got two other students that, that are involved in our worship team, and, and they actually, they'll, we have a group of students that lead worship for the uh, little kids' ministry downstairs, the children's ministry. And so last week, uh, one, of my, one of my guys, Daniel Berry, he's, he's an ordinary guy, he's funny, and he decided to record um, Brad Corey uh, leading worship. And then what he does is he finds out that there's this challenge on K-Love is they're trying to find the top student worship leaders in the country. And so Daniel Barry, is a, I don't know if he was joking or what he was doing, but he sends this, this, this thing into K-Love, and on Monday, Brad Corey wins. Yeah, right? Wait, I'm not done yet. So they're doing this all week long. They're picking five winners, and so on Tuesday, Daniel Barry decided, well, I might as well submit one too, and on Tuesday, he wins. And so I figured because the rest of our worship team was busy, three other people won later in the week. Um, but I'm really proud of our students because they're, ta- they're embodying that 40-up thing. They're taking the gifts and the talents that God gave them, and they're using them to glorify him. And, and I'm going to tell you right now, they don't have it all together, neither do we. But they're at least walking forward in a direction towards God. And I'm really proud of my students. So I just wanted to say that. And i got to say this this morning, too, because I'm a dad. Who, I'm, a, I'm a fatherless father. I didn't have a father. And I'm a father, and I'm trying so hard to figure this thing out. Chap Clark uh, wrote a book called Hurt. And in this book, he says, the biggest disappointment, and he did a lot of research, among high school men, guys, getting ready to graduate from high school is, if they had, if they had changed one thing in their life, it would be to spend more time with their dads. And, and I want to challenge you, 40 up, men, men up, men, fathers, find other fathers and go to this event. Because I'm sick and tired of hearing about fatherless kids who have fathers in the home. We need to man up. And I'm taking that challenge myself. I got, I've got a little son, I've got a little daughter, and I need to, I, I always can be a better father, and so can you. So there's a challenge. Anyway, thanks for letting me have that moment. Let's pray and... Uh, We're going to jump into God's word. So, Father, we love you and we thank you. And God, you are so good. You are a God who is on the move. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us the energy to keep up. May that be our battle cry. And so, Lord, as we focus on forward, as we focus on what you're doing, 
I pray this morning that you would burden our hearts, break our hearts, convict our hearts, renew and reinvigorate in us a passion and a love for you. Help us to be excited about the King's cross this morning. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I set up a couple of things for myself this week. We're in the book of Mark, and this week we're talking about the calling of the disciples. And so what I did this past week is I set up, there's 12 of these guys, and I had six days to work on this, so I, I took two disciples every day and really did an in-depth study. And I've got to be honest with you, this is the first time I've ever done that, where I went and looked at each of these guys in great detail, and I was floored by the amount of information that there is actually about the disciples. And I'm sitting there, and I'm reading the scripture that we have for this morning, which Jesus basically says, leave everything and follow me. And I'm thinking to myself, what would that be like to get that type of challenge? And as I'm sitting there studying, I get a knocking on my door. And it's my cousin Craig. My cousin Craig left for a mission trip to Nicaragua yesterday. And he had asked me to give him a devotional so that he could lead devotions on this trip. So he came over to pick this thing up. And when he comes in the house, I say, hey, what's up, man? You know, the casual conversation. He says, hey, somebody backed out of the mission trip. Do you want to go? He said, oh, man, when do you guys leave? And he said, tomorrow. <laughs> and I went, well, I got the kids. I got to preach. I got all this stuff I got to do. I got to do this. I got to do this. He, and he says, okay, whatever. You know, the offer's there. If, if you want to go, just give me a call. And so then I sit back down to my study, and I go, wonder what it would have been like to have been asked by Jesus to follow me. Crap! <laughs> I just had that moment with my cousin Craig. I'm sitting there asking God, and I think God does this stuff on purpose because he's funny. He's a funny God. He likes to mess with us. And he says, and he says to me, you have this opportunity to come follow Jesus. Do you want to go? And I said, well, I'm a little too busy right now. And so I hope that wasn't my moment of pass or fail. Thank God for grace. But I had that moment. And so here's the disciples are in this moment in their life where, where I have in my mind this image of what this must look like. As a little kid, I'm always told about how the disciples are fishing in the sea and they're catching the biggest bass that you can catch. And, and what happens is, is some old guy walks along the shore and they just kind of meet eyes and they lock eyes. And, and so there's the disciples, all 30 of them, and they leave their fishing poles down and they follow Jesus. No one says a word. And so in my mind as a human, I've got this image of this, this very um, celestial, this very spiritual event that takes place. And, and I don't know about you, but it didn't happen like that. As divine as an appointment as this was in Scripture, it happened in a very earthly way that makes me think, well, maybe God planned on using meatheads like me and guys like the disciples to change history and people like you. And so we jump into our Scripture this morning, and I'll get to that in a minute. And it says this in verse 14, 114, after John was put into prison. And again, I'm always amazed at the verbiage of the Bible because as I've read this scripture passage a bunch and a bunch and a bunch, that little thing after John was put in prison was really just matter of fact to me. Okay, John is this guy preaching about Jesus. He's put in prison because people didn't want to hear it. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near repent and believe the good news. Now the word that he uses for repent here in the Greek is actually a word that means to completely turn away from. Turn away from the sin in your life. Turn away from the things that are going bad in your life. And when he says believe the good news, he uses a verbiage 
that, again, the English language can't allow us to appreciate, to appreciate. Because when he uses this verbiage, you can break it down into two different words, and it basically means good news. And he says, I'm going to repent and believe the good news, the gospel. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but the gospel is actually not a religious word. It's not something created by Christians. The gospel is a message that is sent. When you think of the Battle of Marathon, anybody ever heard of the Battle of Marathon? You've got the Greeks. Uh, let me find my notes here. The, the Greeks were fighting against the Persians. And so what happens is, is the Persians were oppressing the Greeks. And at the Battle of Marathon, there was this tremendous victory that happened that mathematically shouldn't have happened. And so this one guy puts on his Nikes and he runs down all the way to the city and he ends up dying at the end of it. But at the, at the Battle of Marathon, he comes bringing a gospel. And when he gets to this, the village, he says the phrase, Nike, victory. And he was bringing a gospel message. When Caesar Augustus was born, they referred to the history of his life as the gospel of Caesar Augustus, the good news. And so the way that Jesus uses this word is not just simply good news as it was properly used. When you hear of a gospel, when you hear the good news of a gospel, a gospel is something that is history-altering. When I think of the Emancipation Proclamation, that is a gospel. The, 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 the Civil War and all that went on to get to that point, there's a gospel message there. And the beautiful thing about a gospel message is the people receiving the message are never the people that did anything to earn it. That's powerful. That was powerful to me when I first read that. Because even in the Battle of Marathon, the warriors are still on the field, but the slaves, the Greek slaves that would now be liberated, are being given this message that has just changed their forever. The Emancipation Proclamation. People are given a message that changes their forever. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is a message that will change people's forever. Not because of what they have done, but because of what is being done for them. That's pretty powerful. And then you bring the disciples into the picture. So there's this Jesus. He's walking around, and he goes into the Sea of Galilee, and he sees a guy named Simon and his brother Andrew casting their nets into the lake, for they were fishermen. And he says, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. There's a couple of things I want to point out here. And before I dive too much into the disciples, I want to say this. We go back to that very first phrase that John the Baptist was arrested. Do you know who one of John's most trusted disciples was? A guy by the name of Andrew. And I don't know if you ever caught this. Andrew's one of the first disciples that Jesus calls shortly after John the Baptist is arrested. Andrew goes to John the Baptist and he says, I want to follow you. And in fact, there's a couple mentions in Scripture where there's two disciples that are with John the Baptist. And John says, this guy right here, you think I've got a good message. This is the guy you want to follow. Andrew's one of those guys. Now John's in prison, so what does Andrew do? He goes back to fishing with his brother Simon. We know him as Peter. And so he goes back to his, his career as a fisherman. And so in my mind as a person, I've always seen this thing where Jesus and Simon Peter and Andrew all locked eyes and there was just this mythical thing that happened. But the reality of it was, Andrew knew exactly who Jesus was. 
He knew exactly what Jesus had come to earth to do. He had been told he had been with John the Baptist. There was a relationship between Andrew and Jesus before Andrew began to follow Jesus. And I don't know about you, brothers and sisters out there, but families talk about stuff, right? And so now you've got this guy, Peter, who's, who's Andrew's brother. I'm sure that they knew who Jesus was when he came walking down the shore. And he looks at them in the eyes. And I want you to think about what it must have been like to know that this is the Son of God. I just saw this guy baptized a couple of days ago. And now he's walking down the street and he looks at me and he says, follow me. You want to talk about a come to Jesus moment. Jesus himself looks you in the eyes and says, follow me. What could they do than just lay their stuff down and follow? It goes on to say in this scripture, as Jesus was by this, he said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This is interesting too because back in the day when you think about Andrew's life, Andrew went to John the Baptist and said, will you be my rabbi? You people who come to Christ church, you decided to come to Christ church, right? People who were down the road at another church have decided to go to that church. Back then and now, it is customary that the people chose their rabbi. That people chose their teacher. And Jesus is breaking all kinds of etiquette here when he looks at these guys and says, follow me. Do you catch that? That's pretty significant. Because this is different than how it's supposed to be done. This isn't how it works. What if I came to your like, neighbor and said, hey, you need to come to my church. Follow me. It'd be weird, right? So there's people today looking at this going, what is this Jesus doing? And they don't question. And they follow. Why? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is not about what we do. The gospel of Jesus Christ is about what has been done for us. So much so to the point that the rabbi calls us. That Jesus called you. He reached out to you as much as you think you had anything to do with that decision. Jesus came for you. It was part of the plan from the very get-go. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they had left their nets and they followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Now, the funny thing about James and John is this. They were known as the Boanerges. It means sons of thunder. Because they were, they were known for being mean to each other and, and, and fighting and being rough and tumble type of, type of guys. The funny thing is, is, my name's James and my brother's name's John, and we're known for the same thing. And so I can really relate to this, this, this coupling here. He went out to them. And, and uh, Zebedee, they were sons of Zebedee and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with hired men, and they followed him. And as we look through the scriptures one by one, Jesus goes to the disciples, and he says, follow me. It's not the other way around. In fact, when the people come to him and say, I want to follow you, what do I got to do? Jesus says, sell everything and come follow me. Well, I can't do that. When you seek Jesus on your own power, when you seek to, to, to make things right on your own power, it's going to fail. But when you open up and let the king lead, amazing things are going to happen in your life. 
So we get to the disciples. You've got Andrew, who was this, this, this he was John the Baptist's disciple. And, and he loved Jesus. You've got John, you've got James, you've got another guy named James. They, they call James the Greater and James the Younger, or James the Less. Uh, Judas Iscariot, he's the Judas we know of. There's Jude, Thaddeus, also known as Jude. There's a guy named Levi. Uh, we know him as Matthew. Now this one cracks me up, because remember how I said God likes to do things that are kind of, I think they're funny? He grabbed a group of these fishermen, these blue-collar, thuggish guys who were used to working in their underwear, for crying out loud. All right? And these are the guys he's calling to change forever. They weren't the most sophisticated. They weren't the most uh, mannered. They, they, you know, whatever you want to say, these guys were what I referred to as a bag of hammers. They really were. And then he goes and he calls this guy Levi or Matthew. Matthew is a tax collector. Now get this in your mind. I want you to imagine... A Democrat and a Republican sitting in a room together talking about abortion and gun control. That's a powder keg waiting to happen. Okay? And so what happens is, is you get this guy, Matthew, who is a tax collector. Tax collectors were used to going around the neighborhood going, a little bit for me, less for the government. A little bit for me, less for the government. And they were known for robbing the poor and giving to the rich. Then Jesus comes to this other guy, Simon the Zealot. Do you know what the Zealots were known for? They were known for their insatiable, like, just passion for for things of Jewish nature. And they were also known for being haters of everything Roman. So much to the point that one of their favorite pastimes were accidentally to slit the throats of tax collectors. Democrats and Republicans talking about things. Jesus... And God are awesome because they say, you know what? We'll grab some fishermen. We'll make them fishermen. We're going to grab these people that hate each other, and we're going to make them be missionaries together. And he takes a zealot and a tax collector and puts them on the same team. Bag of hammers. Jesus chose to change forever with these guys. Then you've got Thomas. The stout-hearted Thomas never failed to believe, right? We know Thomas as Doubting Thomas. And we can sit here and pass judgment on Doubting Thomas. But let me tell you something about Doubting Thomas. He followed Christ to the point of death. He went into hostile lands as a missionary and was martyred for the king. Something in his mind changed him from a doubter and he had an experience with Jesus that caused him to believe in this this man God so much that he followed him to the point of death. In fact, the heart-wrenching thing for me, and I'm very disturbed by a couple of the things I found out, as I go down this list of the disciples, which we could also call the 11 martyrs, and I look at Thomas, martyred in Persia. Simon the Zealot disappeared in history. Nathaniel, Bartholomew, martyred. Philip, martyred in Heriopolis. Levi, Matthew, martyred in Ethiopia. Thaddeus, martyred. Judas Iscariot, suicide. James the Younger, thrown from a roof, stoned and then clubbed to death, martyred. James the Greater, killed by Herod. John, exiled. Simon Peter, he once denied Christ. Crucified, upside down because he said, I am not worthy to die in the same manner that my Christ did. 
And so they honored his wishes. And finally, we have Andrew crucified. You had a group of guys who had an experience with God, a group of guys that recognized that they were being called by God. They they were being called by the Son of God, Christ. They weren't called to go forward. They weren't called to go to the side. They weren't called to go in advance. They were simply called to follow Jesus and obey Him. Jesus took them to places that they never began to imagine. These were a bag of hammers, people. Do you understand that? These were guys that didn't have it all together. These were sinful doubters. These were people that had murdered people. These were people that cheated the system. And they had an experience with the Creator's Son. And they changed forever. That is a gospel. Do you know why this is a gospel? Because this is good news for us. Because Jesus followed God's will for his life. Let me tell you a story. Tim Keller shares this story in his book, King's Cross. It's, it's called the, Gob- or the Princess and the Goblin by a guy named, uh, not George MacArthur, he was a general, George MacDonald. There's a really creepy kids movie made of it in the 90s. If you want to check it out on YouTube. And there's a story of this little girl, Irene. And Irene's this little girl, and, and, and she, she's the princess, and she's got this grandmother that loves her, and, and they live in a town that's plagued by goblins. And so what happens is, is the grandmother, to make a very long story short, gives her this magic ring. And inside this magic ring is this special thread. And so what happens is if she ever gets in trouble, her grandmother tells you that there's a plan and a purpose for everything. And if you ever get in trouble, I want you to put this ring under your pillow. And what will happen is, is that that thread will shoot out to safety. That thread will shoot out to where you need to go. And in a time of danger, Irene, you follow that thread. So one night, the little girl's sleeping in her bed, and she hears goblins down the hall from her bedroom. And so she thinks about it, and she puts under her pillow this little magic ring, and this string shoots out. And what she discovers is that she's following the string. She thinks she's going away from danger, but it actually leads her to the mouth of the goblin cave. And when she gets to the mouth of the goblin cave, she has a moment where she has to decide to continue to follow or completely go the other way. But when she turns around to look back, there's nothing behind her. It's forward only. And so she continues to follow this pathway that's laid out before her. And eventually she comes to a brick wall. And she can see how the little piece of thread goes directly through the brick wall. And she begins to weep and cry and say, why do you have me here? Why did you bring me to this place? There's no hope. There's no way through. And she then looks again and sees that the thread goes through the wall. And that all she has to do is just destroy this wall that's separating her from whatever's on the other side. And she begins to tear down this wall. And what happens is she tears down the wall. A pair of hands come through the other side and it's her friend who's been trapped by the goblins. And they begin to tear down this wall together, and then they're led to safety. She couldn't understand why her grandmother would take her to places that she thought was more dangerous. And Tim Keller uses this story to illustrate the fact that Jesus Christ's Father gave him a path to follow. His thread led him to the cross. And he followed that thread because that's what he was told to do, because he did it out of love. And he followed that thread to the cross, and he was crushed. 
He came and he called the disciples and he said, follow me, embrace me, embrace my cross. And they followed Jesus to the cross. At the end of the book of Matthew, we're given a charge by Jesus himself. And he says, go and make disciples of all nations. And let me tell you something. Because Jesus faithfully went to the cross to die for your sins and my sins, because the disciples manned up and they followed Jesus to that cross, we too are being called to embrace Christ, to embrace his cross and follow him to the cross. Each one of us, God has set a pathway before us and each one of us, we're going to encounter moments in our life where we think they're dangerous. We're not sure what's going on. We may encounter brick walls in our life that absolutely seem impenetrable, like there's no way through these walls. But I promise you this, if you remain faithful to Christ in the darkest moments of your life and what seem like brick walls, He will break down those walls and He will carry you forward to the point of glory. He is preparing a place for you next to His Father in heaven right now. And all He's asking you to do is put down your junk and follow him. That's good news. Because the reality of it is, is the weight of Jesus' cross cannot crush us because it already crushed him. His thread led to the cross. The disciples' threads led to Jesus. And the thread of your and I's life, they lead to the arms of Christ on that cross. This is a good gospel message because we don't have to do anything. Jesus did it for us. You're forgiven because of his blood, because of his sacrifice. We are a bag of hammers. And God can change forever with that. Because his love is good. Because his love never fails. Amen? Amen. Isn't it easy for us to get caught up in the wrong mindset? To think that these walls in our lives are things that are going to stop us? But I'm going to tell you right now, God is good. He is good all the time. And whatever he has put in your life, I may not be able to explain it. And it may seem like hell on earth. But I promise you, if you continue to follow him, not looking left, not looking right, he will deliver you. I want to read this quote from Tim Keller that I just, I think it's phenomenal. He says, don't try to go backwards or to the side, but follow the path that he has set before you. Jesus Christ's will will not crush you. He was crushed for you. He followed his thread to the cross so you could follow yours to his arms. So, Father, we love you. And we thank you that you are so willing to love us even when you already gave man a chance. We turned our backs on you because of sin. But you sent your son Jesus to this earth so that we could follow him. The difference between Christianity and other religions is other religions simply give us good advice on how to live. They give people advice on what they need to do to be enlightened. They give people advice on on how to get to wherever it is they're trying to go. But the good news of Christianity, of Christ, is that he did it for us. That our lives are about following him because he loves us as much today as he ever will. And he has always loved us that much. And so God, we recognize this morning it's not about us. You want us to follow you and be obedient. And God, I'm going to be honest, that is really hard sometimes. 
And so I pray that you would give us the strength and the courage to think of the disciples and what they must have went through. Would we be able to do that, Lord? It's not about earning our way into heaven because your grace and your mercy is sufficient. But Lord, as an act of love, may we be excited about sharing our faith with others because it's not about us. It's about what you did for us on that cross. You broke all the etiquette, Rabbi, and you said, follow me. So God, help us to do that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray.